I don't know of any other crime out there where one bad guy acting alone can steal that much money. Introducing the Protectors, inside criminal minds from around the world. Presented by the IAFCI, leaders in safeguarding consumers from fraud and scams for more than 50 years. And now your hosts, International President Mark Solomon and Chairman of the Board Michael Carroll. Hello, everybody. This is Mike Carroll. Welcome to today's podcast. I am with Mark Solomon. Mark, how you doing today? I'm doing good. This will be our last recording in 2022. It won't get released to 2023. So when you hear this, Happy New Year to all of our listeners. And uh, Mike, uh, we also got some changes coming up, but uh, things are still going to stay the same with the podcast. So, Yeah, Mark, kind of brings a little tear to my eye because next year you will be our international president of the IAFCI. Myself, I'll move over to chairman. So, Mark, we're going to have to uh, change our uh, intro next year. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I guess uh, now, do I have to call you Sinatra if you're the chairman of the board or what? <laughs> Just don't call me late for dinner. All right. All right. Hey, Mark, you know what I was thinking? So this is uh, my completion of my two terms, four years. And then you're coming in as a new international president. I think that's great. Four years, you know, it's been an awesome experience for me as our international president. But bringing in new blood, we got a new executive board. You as a new international president coming in with new ideas and great things, you know, we should do this for our politicians. Term limits. Don't you agree? <laughs> that might be that might be a good idea. I think we have some people who have been there way too long. So Exactly. Uh, but, uh, Mike, I want to thank you for the work that you've done over the last four years. It has been incredible, so many things that you've done for the IFCI. So I look to try and uh, fill those big uh, shoes and uh, keep up uh, what you're doing with the IFCI and also with the podcast. But the good thing, Mike, is... Nothing's going different with the podcast. It's still Mike and Mark, and uh, we're going to be here. We may have different titles, but it's going to be the same show, and we want to just thank all our listeners in 2022 for tuning in and subscribing. Uh, Our numbers are going up like crazy, so please, if this is your first time listening, think about subscribing and and check our previous podcast out. I think they're really informative. Hey, Mark, are you sure it's still going to be Mike and Mark, not Mark and Mike? Awesome. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, maybe, maybe for a couple dollars, we'll let you go first. I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, you're right, Mark. It is becoming very popular. You know, I'm on LinkedIn. I got a lot of messages from my friends and Facebook. Hey, I listened to your podcast. It's outstanding, and uh, it's getting out there, Mark. It's important, don't you agree? It's important to the public. We bring in great speakers like today. We got an awesome guest today, but we serve a purpose to the public, getting the word out about all the frauds and scams that are going on out there. Yeah, anytime we have an opportunity to educate the public and our citizens as to the frauds that are out there, and more importantly, how to recognize them and not fall into that trap and be a victim, you know. So, again, this is something that's very dear uh, to both of our hearts and to the IFCI that not only do we fight and combat and investigate these crimes, but we want our citizens not to fall victim in the first place. You know, if we could avoid a crime happening, then that's a huge success. Starting in 2023, we have the perfect guest today. Mark, why don't you introduce our guest? Hey, what a great way to kick off the new year. Our next guest is an expert in mortgage fraud, along with many other different type of fraud investigations. He has been an attorney since 1997, but began his career at the U.S. Customs Service. 
He then moved on to the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office, where as Deputy DA, he prosecuted felonies and complex cybercrimes, including real estate, investment, business, insurance, and loan fraud. He is now in private practice since 2009, and he's also the CEO of the Veritable Data Solutions. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome to the show, David Fleck. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, David, you know, we talk about real estate fraud. Wow. I mean, it's such an important topic. You know, I I remember when I bought a house maybe about 10 years ago, there was like 100 forms you had to fill out for your loan. And my question would be, you know, why is there so much fraud in real estate? How's it all happening? Well, there's a lot of fraud in real estate because the real estate industry wants these transactions to happen very fluidly and, you know, with as little resistance as possible and and to happen quickly and and fast. And so anytime you're doing that, there's going to be weaknesses in the system that the con artists exploit. The fraudsters look for those types of things. I like to think of fraudsters as rain on the roof. It's just going to keep searching until it finds a hole and uh, it's a leak into the into your house. And that's what fraudsters are doing. They're always probing for a way in. And when you have a very fluid market, they're bound to be holes. So, David, I was in uh, law enforcement for 26 years before I retired, and I never really got involved in a lot of real estate uh, investigations, fraud investigations. And there seems to be a, quite a lot of different real estate frauds. Can you give us some of the most common types that you see as an expert? Sure. Yeah. I got to tell you, I know I'm a little biased because this is my area of expertise, but you know, I think that these frauds are the most destructive frauds out there uh, against victims. You know, one you hear a lot about these days in advertisements and commercials is home title theft. And this is a, this is a real problem because, as I was mentioning a moment ago, we want the system to be very fluid. And part of that process is having documents notarized, right? And for hundreds of years, notaries effectively prevented home title theft from happening. It prevented people from forging deeds. But about 20 or 25 years ago, technology passed notaries up, and suddenly this is a relatively new crime, and it's a big one because victims of this crime, their only way they can remove a fraudulent deed from the title to their home is through a lawsuit. So they have to hire a lawyer, they have to go through that process, and a lot of these victims are older, and they can't do that. So, David, let me just back up for a second. Can you explain to us what home title fraud is? Because I'm sure some of our listeners have not heard about this before or may have seen something in the news but maybe didn't understand completely the process of this fraud. I'd be happy to. Home title theft starts with a forged deed. The way we transfer ownership in this country, ownership of property, is by the seller filling out a deed that says that they're transferring ownership to the buyer. And when the owner, the seller, signs that, then a notary watches them sign the deed and then stamps the deed to show that it's official. Then that document is filed with the county clerk or recorder uh, in, in their jurisdiction. The thing of it is, it's very easy to forge deeds nowadays. You know, before about 25 years ago, you needed special printing equipment to do that kind of thing. Now, literally every computer has the capability of creating believable forged documents. And you can buy a fake notary stamp online for $12, $15. So it's very easy to forge these documents and file them with the county. And once they're filed with the county, then it appears to everybody in the world that this new owner owns the house, even though it's a forged document. 
And then the only way to undo that is by filing a special kind of lawsuit called a quiet title lawsuit in which the court, it could be a judge, determines who's telling the truth, who's the, the real owner in this situation. Related to that, are there certain situations where it's actually somebody impersonating the homeowner related to like identity theft? That's exactly right. Home title theft is a type of identity theft. They are forging the real owner's name and signature on the deed, and they might impersonate the, the, the real owner in front of a notary at times um, by purchasing a high-quality fake ID online. Is there like a certain group that this type of fraud occurs, this home title theft? Is it more related to seniors get caught up in this type of scam? As with so many scams, yeah, seniors are a large percentage of the victims of this crime. And the reason is this, you know, it's the scammer wants to come in, they want to want to transfer ownership, then they have several ways to suck money out of that property to steal the money. And that mortgage fraud is one of those ways, which I'll talk about in, in a little bit. But so they want to be able to do this whole process, forge the document, file it with the county, suck money out of the property, and then disappear into the wind before anybody notices. And so often it's, it's older folks who are, I don't know, not, not all senior citizens, but enough of them are kind of, they're not managing their affairs as well as they used to, right? And so it's easier for these scammers to commit their crime and get away with it before anybody notices. That's the main issue there. David, I know I, I, I could see why seniors would be targeted more often, but this could happen to anybody. Is that correct? I mean, you know, you're living in your house. You have no intentions of selling your house and somebody could create these fraudulent documents and basically steal your home from under you. Is that correct? Yes. Typically, it's not going to happen to somebody who is very involved in their, you know, the day-to-day -day operations of their homes. It's often, often going to happen with vacant property vacant second homes, uh, homes that are in foreclosure and not being taken care of as well anymore, and as I mentioned, older folks who maybe aren't taking care of their home as, as well. Right now, um, I was told by an executive at one of the major title insurance companies that Hawaii is experiencing an epidemic of this type of scam against vacant land. And what's happening is somebody around the world is impersonating uh, non-resident landowners and selling their homes to legitimate buyers, people who think they're getting a, a good deal on property. Hey, David, you mentioned, you know, not only a homeowner with a primary residence, but somebody that might have a second home or a vacation home or have property that's in foreclosure. But as a primary homeowner, what are some red flags that we need to look out for to make sure that we're not a victim of a home title theft? I don't mean to scare the audience, but sometimes there's no warning sign. Sometimes there is no red flag. Um, the crooks will come in here and forge that deed and file with the county, and you have no idea this has happened. The point I was trying to make is that they're probably going to target a property that looks like it's not being maintained in some way. It could be vacant, a vacant property. It could be a vacant land. It could be a vacant second home. Um, it could be a rental property that, that it happens to be vacant right now. Sometimes it does happen to homeowners who are actually living there in their home. I got a call from a, a person about uh, 11 months ago now, and these folks had forged documents against her home while she was living there. She maintained everything fine. 
Uh, but they targeted her. Not clear why they targeted her. And the first thing she knew about it was when they were filing eviction documents against her to evict her from the home. So unfortunately, sometimes there are no red flags, but there are some red flags that could occur. So for example, if, if you see people just driving down your street, I mean, this is just the same type of criminals you see case in the joint for burglaries. These types of criminals, they're looking for homes that are kind of in disrepair often. They're looking for homes that aren't maintained on the outside. Nobody's mowing the lawn, nobody's trimming the bushes that type of thing. They might be looking for somebody who's older. And I want to make a point there. It is so critical that we pay attention to senior citizens, to the older folks in our lives, because as we get older, we tend to slow down. We don't manage these things as well, including the affairs of our home. And so if we have older parents, older grandparents, or if we have friends that are older and they don't have any family, we need to be involved with them regularly, just making sure they're not being taken advantage of by the con artists out there, not just for home title theft, but for all types of scams. Yeah, David, that that's a great point. And, uh, you know, we're constantly emphasizing that on the podcast, you know, when it comes to seniors for for family members and, and loved ones to, you know, make sure that there's nothing, any red flags of any particular fraud going on and having constant communication with them is, is important. David, I got to say a question here is, you know, it sounds like the only recourse to get the property back or the title back is, is civilly, but um, these cases can get prosecuted. Obviously, it's a crime uh, to, you know, forge documents and steal the title or property of another. So I know you spent uh, quite a number of years doing that as the district attorney's office, but it sounds like the only uh, way to get that fraudulent title uh, removed is through civil remedies. And that's something you obviously are, are currently doing now. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, criminal judges can do it, too. It just needs to be done by an order of the court. The problem is criminal cases can take a long time. Uh, and uh, sometimes criminal judges, if they specialize in criminal cases, they may not understand this process of canceling a deed, and they'll have to be sort of spoon-fed the process by the prosecutor. But the problem is the prosecutors don't necessarily understand it either. So in most cases, while that case is being investigated criminally, the victim will hire a civil attorney to remove the fraudulent deed from their home title. And that's, as I mentioned earlier, through a quiet title lawsuit. And these lawsuits, if all of the stars line up perfectly, they're going to take about six months. That's the best, best case scenario, mm. you know, and maybe cost as little as $5,000. But if you've ever been involved in any kind of civil litigation, you know, civil lawsuits take on a life of their own. So more typical, these lawsuits are going to drag on for a year and a half, two years, and will cost probably tens of thousands of dollars to do it. And not everybody has that kind of money. So it's a real hardship for victims of this crime to unwind the damage that was done. But then if the law is on their side, the law is in their favor. So as long as they can get the right legal representation, then everything will be fixed in the long run. But in the meantime, while that fraudulent deed is sitting there on title, they can't refinance their house and they cannot sell their house. They're just stuck. Wow. So it's a, it's a destructive crime. Hey, David, like Mark said, too, you know, I was a career in law enforcement. I never really had an opportunity to work uh, mortgage fraud, you know, in any type of fraud related, like home title. That. But I'm just thinking what you were saying. 
I'm kind of getting an idea because the fraud relate, relates to a second home or a vacation or foreclosure because nobody's living there. You know, if somebody tried to do home title fraud on my house, you know, I think a red flag would be a for sale sign out in front or, you know, movers coming over. But since I lived there, you know, there might not be as big of opportunity, right, to do the home title fraud on my residence, but more like you were saying on my second home or a vacation home because nobody's living there to get show the house. Because I guess my question is, how does the fraudsters make the money on this? They're going to sell that property before either you find out about it or you're able to stop it, right? They will pivot depending on the situation that's on the ground. Uh, yes, if you're living there and you know, you're clearly maintaining the lawn and taking care of the place, you're less likely to be a target. It doesn't mean you can't be a target. And one way they would take money out of your house is by obtaining a, a loan against the property. This would be a situation where they transfer ownership to their name, into their name or into the name of a, an identity theft victim that they control or into the name of a company that they control. And then that company goes to a hard money lender to borrow money against the house. You know, these hard money lenders, they don't really care about your ability to repay. So there's not a lot of due diligence there. All they care about is the equity in the home. And typically, hard money lenders will lend up to about 65% of the home's value. So there will always be some hard money lenders out there that are a little less uh, diligent and uh, they, the person can slip this one by them. And, you know, maybe they, the lender won't even go out and take a look at the property. Maybe the lender won't even require title insurance. Hopefully a title insurance company would spot the problem, but they don't always. I represented victims where they where the Hard money lender required the legitimate buyer to get title insurance, and the title insurance company missed it. They didn't spot the fraud, and it's hard to spot it sometimes. It's hard to spot these forged deeds. And so at the end of the day, in that case, the title insurance company was on the hook for the loss. Um, but that's the title insurance policy for the new buyer or the new lender, right? The true homeowner, in most cases, will not have insurance to cover this. And so the, in most cases, their efforts to resolve the situation will come out of their own pockets. And David, you know, um, some great information you gave to our audience here about, you know, title fraud. But there's other frauds out there involving real estate. And I wanted to focus a little bit on mortgage fraud. Can you explain uh, some of the schemes that are out there when it comes to mortgage fraud? Yes. Mortgage fraud is sort of it's been around, stays around, and it's going to be around for you know years to come. And it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. We want sort of a fluid market, at least the real estate industry does. And because of that, there are some weaknesses. And despite all their efforts to fight this, people will always lie to get a loan. Not everybody, but enough people will always lie to get a loan. And now, let me just back up and say, and define fraud itself. When I talk to a jury or when I teach classes and whatnot, I define fraud as a lie. Because what is a lie? It's an intentional misstatement designed to mislead somebody and to cause them to do something that they wouldn't do if they knew the truth. So if you think of that in that case, mortgage fraud is just lying to get a loan. And people can lie about all sorts of things. They might lie about their income, their employment, their assets their intention to live or not live in the property. All of these things, all of these 
piece of information are relied on by the lender when deciding whether or not to make the loan. And so if a person lies about any one of those things, that's fraud. And it's a felony and it's a state and federal crime that is prosecuted regularly. So, you know, those who've been fighting this kind of battle for a long time, remember back in the late 2000s, people treated lying to lenders like speeding. They didn't think it was a big deal at all until people got prosecuted. Uh, and, and, and so that's what mortgage fraud is. Hey, David, go one step further. What about this business email compromise scam relating to wire fraud? Is wire fraud a big part of uh, real estate fraud? Wire fraud is a huge problem. And, you know, I go back and forth as to which is more destructive to the victim, wire transfer fraud or home title theft, because both of them can cause huge losses for the victims. The problem with wire transfer fraud, and I'll explain what it is in just a moment, is that once the money's gone, it's often just gone and never recovered, and there's no insurance policy uh, to cover it. So how do we get there? Well, wire transfer fraud in its most basic form is somebody hacked their way into an escrow or title company, sends fraudulent wiring information, wire transfer information, to the buyer of a house says, wire your deposit to this bank account. And that email looks like it's coming from the actual escrow or title company. So the buyer of the house wires their money, except that it's not going into the escrow or title. Instead, it's going to the bad guy's account. And before anybody knows what's going on, that money has been taken out of the account and laundered through many other accounts and is just gone and in the wind. And the problem with this is, as I said, Unlike so many other incidents of wrongdoing, there is no obvious deep pocket here for the victim to recover their money. And it can be tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of dollars that they've lost. And by the way, that's not just in real estate. We see it a lot in real estate, but I've also seen it in other industries like the import-export business where people are constantly dealing with uh, overseas companies and somebody will hack into somebody's email account and send false wiring transactions. So once that money's gone, it's usually gone and it's very hard for the victim to recover it. And Dave, you bring up a great point about hacking and and also there's another way of spoofing the true email of that company or an attorney. So they make it look like it's the identical email address, but there might be just one digit or one letter off. Um, Is that something that um, a person that's involved in a sale of real estate should be looking at very carefully at their emails? Absolutely. And and in my experience, the real estate industry is on to this crime, and they're doing their best to warn their customers about this crime and to tell them to always confirm wiring instructions. And that's what you need to do. When you receive wiring instructions by email, you always need to call your point of contact, the person you've been dealing with since the beginning of the transaction, and confirm that the wiring instructions are correct and that they were not sent by some fraudster. Yeah, we call it multi-factor authentication when it comes to, you know, credit card fraud. But that's what you have to do on on real estate, you know, is to make sure that that you know never respond or take any action financially based on an email alone. That's great advice. That's right. That's right. Hey, David, I was doing a little preparation for today's uh, podcast. I got to ask you, what about investment fraud? Is that uh, a big part of uh, real estate fraud? Yes. Yes. 
investment frauds can happen with pretty much any type of asset, but there's so much money tied up in real estate. And there's also this sort of impression that real estate investments are safe, that con artists can take advantage of that situation and promise any number of things. Oh, you, you know, invest in this, in this deal and we're going to redevelop this resort down here in Florida. And, you know, and then, of course, the crook doesn't use the money on the, on the development. They just spend it on themselves or that type of thing or wire it somewhere else. But you just think about it in your mind, all of the different types of real estate investments there are out there. And so crooks who know those areas of investments will go in there and convince people to put their hard-earned savings into what are supposed to be very safe investments and they often aren't. And so just like with any kind of investment, people have to do their due diligence. They have to investigate the people they're giving their money to, and they have to investigate the project that the money is going into as well. And that's my biggest advice. Do your due diligence before giving somebody else your money. But I will add this, though. The thing about con artists in any sort of investment scam is that they are looking for people with whom they can build trust with. And that's the confidence game, right? That's what they're trying to do. And so they're not going to bother with people who they can't build the trust with. So they, they go searching, they go fishing for somebody who is already susceptible to them for some reason. You know, it might be some sort of affinity. They're from the same group. They might have the same cultural backgrounds, speak the same language. They might be part of the same club or organization, something that creates that initial connection and trust. And so then they'll exploit that and convince these people to invest in the very safe real estate investment. And I just say, you know, when it comes to money and investing your money, not that you can't trust anybody, but just always do your due diligence. And if somebody doesn't want you to do your own research, that's a big red flag. You know, David, uh, we have uh, email phishing, we have mail phishing, and now it sounds like we have mortgage phishing, so phishing for <laughs> targets. And, uh, you know, uh, it seems like uh, there's always going to be some sort of new phishing effort going on. But um, but you bring up a great point about investments. And, and investments, there's no guarantees, but it sounds like the fraudster is going to tell you this is the perfect deal. It's going to make you a lot of money, you know, almost like a no risk, you know, guaranteed return. Is that some of the red flags that you could tell our audience to, to look out for and any others that you could see? Absolutely. As the old saying goes, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Yep. You know, I had I had one client who was preyed upon by high school classmates. It just felt too good to be true for him for the better part of a year. And he said, no, 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 no. So then they tried one last little thing, and this is what worked. They conned a big firm, a big law firm attorney into providing escrow services for my client's money. And the big firm attorney didn't know he was representing con artists. He didn't know he was part of a scan. But just funneling the money through a big law firm like that gave it this veneer of trustworthiness. And that was the last little thing that pushed my client over the edge to invest $1.5 million into their scam. He never saw that money again. Wow. Hey, I remember the old honeymooner episode, you know, when Ralph invested in uh, glow in the dark wallpaper. Remember that one? Locale <laughs> pizza. That didn't go well for him either. Mike, you're showing your age because I don't think many of the people that are listening to us today probably know who the honeymooners are. It could be wrong, but you never know. <laughs> They're on my TV. 
Uh, David, you know, let me ask you, because you mentioned earlier, too, when you were talking about right at the beginning about how people fall for these scams because the fraudsters want, just like any other scam, they want them to act immediately. They want, you know, they don't want to give them time to think or talk to other people, but it's all about timing and you got to, you know, emergency, you need to do this right now. Is there any other fraud prevention ideas for our listeners? I know you was going to ask you, is there any new technology out there to help prevent our listeners or anybody from being victims of real estate crimes? Yeah, well, the real estate crimes are so varied. There's such a wide variety of them. And really, it is just about doing your due diligence. Don't rush through any process at all. Take it all very seriously and pay attention to the details. There is emerging technology that I think will cut back on some of the fraud. You've probably heard of blockchain technology. It underpins a lot of the cryptocurrency. It's not the same as cryptocurrency. It's very different from cryptocurrency, but it allows certain transactions to happen more transparently, and it will be harder for bad guys to get away with frauds and things like that. Plus, there are also there's several companies out there that are constantly developing new software, new ways to analyze data, to prevent fraud, particularly in the mortgage fraud realm. These companies out there, they are focused very hard on looking for trends and red flags that will, that will prevent mortgage fraud and that type of thing. Um, but as an individual, the best thing you can do is just be aware, be diligent. And when yeah. it comes to your money and your real estate, Pay attention. Don't, you know, take things seriously. And as I mentioned earlier, I can't say this often enough, and you said you've said this before, we need to be paying attention to the senior citizens in our lives because there's a reason. There are many reasons why the con artists prey on them uh, because they're often alone. They're often lonely and they want to talk. And the con artists can take control of their lives. Actually, often the con artists are insiders, by the way. We didn't mention that. Not always. I mean, most caregivers are excellent, wonderful, warm people. But you can imagine if you are a con artist, being a caregiver to an elder with money, <laughs> I mean, that's perfect. I mean, that's the, that's the proverbial you know, wolf in the, in the chicken coop, right? Um, the coyote or the coyote in the chicken coop, whatever, whatever the saying <laughs> is. Uh, and so, you know, caregivers can take advantage of that situation. And the reason they target a lot of elders is not just because they're lonely and vulnerable, but oftentimes they have a large nest egg that they're sitting on. They have a lot of money that they've saved for retirement. Yeah. So that, that nest egg is a, is a pot of gold. So just be diligent, be aware, and, and look out for the senior citizens in your life. We're here talking with David Fleck, a real estate and mortgage fraud expert. And David, I have a, a question here. It just seems like the real estate world is a wide open frontier for fraudsters. It just seems like there's so many different avenues that they can attack, different tactics they could use. Is there any legislation uh, out there to address this issue? You know, probably more on the federal level, but, you know, is there any uh, anything going on to try and curb this type of fraud? Well, believe it or not, um, I wrote some legislation way back in 2007 when I was a deputy district attorney in Los Angeles. I wrote this in conjunction with some Los Angeles sheriff's detectives to help fight this problem. It was a long time ago we were, we were working on fighting types of uh, real estate fraud. And that legislation got passed, and it made it easier to prosecute people for participating in real estate fraud scams. There are small efforts happening around the country at the state level 
Um, some counties have created a notification system. About about 10% of the counties nationwide, by my count, now have a system you can sign up for if you're a homeowner to receive notification if there are any changes to the title of your house. So that type of thing happens uh, is happening. And there is some legislation at the federal level as well that won't stop real estate fraud, but it will create more funding for local law enforcement to fight real estate fraud. It will create uh, better statistics and data so we know what's going on around the country. So there is a movement afoot to do something and to prevent this. But at this point, it still depends on the individual to do something about it. And and I just want to add, another reason there's so much fraud in real estate is because of the sheer amount of money that is available. You know, for example, home title theft. A crook comes in, forges title to a, a vacant house, sells it to a flipping company, and walks away with hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars, right? And before before anybody knows what's going on, this bad guy has scored a huge sum of money. I don't know of any other crime out there where one bad guy acting alone can steal that much money. And so it's very enticing for a lot of people who don't mind the risk of going to prison because that's what it comes down to. People who don't mind the possibility of going to prison are willing to do this and to steal a lot of money. So it really sucks them in. And I have heard, uh, at least in in Southern California, that some of the organized crime groups have discovered different types of real estate fraud as a way to fund their other criminal activities. Well, Dave, you mentioned, uh, talked about uh, due diligence. And and you're right, a simple phone call to the seller or to the real estate agent or to the lawyer would be very helpful in preventing being a victim of some type of wire transfer. But I was going to ask you, is there anything technology-related or related to uh, a service you could sign up for to prevent yourself from being a victim of mortgage fraud or home title theft? You see some of these commercials related to that. Is that something that homeowners should take a look at? Yeah. Well, okay, so a couple things. Mortgage fraud is in mortgage fraud cases that the victim typically is the bank and the bank's spending a lot of money on very sophisticated software to try to prevent mortgage fraud. But the types of crimes that our homeowners are victims of, you know, are home title theft, wire transfer fraud and investment frauds. As far as the home title theft goes, yeah, many of you, the listeners have probably seen the commercials for a, a company that provides home title monitoring services. And I've actually been on about three of those commercials. (laughs) They asked me to uh, be the expert on uh, home title theft, you know. I mean, I probably have represented far more victims of home title theft than any other attorney nationwide. I say probably because there's no way for me to know that for sure. But I know most of the people in this field. I, I can't think of any other attorney who has been doing this as long as I have. So they asked me to be on those commercials. I did it for free uh, because the, the there's no set of public service announcements from government agencies that could get the word out there as effectively as this nationwide ad campaign could do it. So there are these title monitoring services, and they are helpful. They're not that expensive for the benefit. The benefit is that you'll be notified as soon as anything happens to your to your title. Now, for the most part, most people are never going to be notified of fraud. And, and that's the thing. Home title theft is like, it's almost like homeowners are 
swimming in a huge school of fish. Now, very few of them will actually get eaten by the shark called home title theft. Very few of them. But the consequence of getting eaten is so bad, <laughs> right? right? It's right. such a, it's so damaging that, you know, this is my opinion. I personally think that, you know, every homeowner should have some kind of title monitoring. And as I said earlier, about 10% of counties now offer it uh, for free. But they only did that in reaction to these, these home title monitoring companies coming along and charging for it. So, you know, you might say, okay, why are they charging for it when it could be free? Well, it took this business model, it, it had to arise and bring people's awareness about this crime for these counties to start offering it for free. So, you know, I see on both sides to this. And I don't want to uh, toot my, you know, my own company's horn too much, but and I won't go into the details, but we did create a, a system that could eliminate home title theft entirely. Um, that's veritable data solutions. So it uses blockchain technology and identity verification technology to prevent it. So there are technologies out there that can stop some of these crimes. David, I think I'm going to actually go sign up for uh, monitoring because if there's a thousand fish in the ocean, I feel like the shark always finds me. So I think I might sign up on that. And then, Mike, I'm telling you, I see a second episode coming here for uh, mortgage fraud and, and investment fraud coming up. There's so much information out there in different frauds. I think it would be great to get David back on for another show. Well, you're right. You know, Mark, you and Dave kind of hit it off because you both done commercials. Remember you did that weight loss commercial? Hey, hey, wait a minute. Don't pick on me. I wasn't. <laughs> I, I, only did, I only did the before You were eating picture. a pizza while the commercial was going on. While they had a break, they caught you eating a couple slices. Wow. Mike is flipping the tables in 2023. I'm, uh, I'm usually, getting ready. Usually I'm, getting I'm ready. the one picking on him. So. <laughs> no, you're right. We can, we can definitely do a part two. Yeah, David, for the record, I did do a weight control uh, commercial, and uh, my after photo was worse than my before, so so it never, it never <laughs> aired. <laughs> yeah, bigger lens. <laughs> that's it. That's it, Carol. Gloves are off now. That's it. <laughs> but, uh, David, in all seriousness, uh, like I said, you really opened up, I think, both Mike and I's eyes because, you know, we haven't had a lot of experience investigating these type of crimes. You hear about them, you know, um, but you really, I think, uh, both to our audience and to us, really showed us so many different avenues the fraudsters can go and, and also gave us some valuable tips on how to look out for red flags of some of these crimes. Yeah, same here. You know, I've learned a lot. And Dave, I was going to ask you, too, would you mind for our listeners if we put your email on our show notes? I'm, I'm sure our listeners got some questions if you uh, have an opportunity to answer some of them. Happy to. Happy to. That's uh, no problem at all. Awesome. Awesome. Really good. Yeah. Well, David, thank you for coming on the show today. Like I said, to our audience, again, we thank you for joining us uh, for another podcast, our first one in 2023. And we wish you all a happy new year. And like I said, the most important thing is knowledge and awareness will keep you away from the frauds. Yeah, David, thank you again. We really appreciate it. Um, again, we could definitely, definitely do a part two. And I'm going to let Mark Kasek, your friend, know that uh, you were awesome today. I'm sure he's going to listen to it, and he'll, he'll still say he was the number one podcast out there. But uh, thank you for what you do and uh, how you help our consumers and our listeners. Well, that would be great. Maybe maybe Mark and I should come on here together along with our other co-chair, Richard Hagar, to talk about mortgage fraud. 
All right, I like it. A little trio of uh, interviews. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, what do you think, Mark? Awesome. David Fleck, outstanding today. What a, what a show. It's a great show to lead off 2023. And to our listeners, we want to wish you a happy and prosperous new year and a safe new year to all our listeners. Thank you for participating and, uh, and listening to our podcast. Mark, going in next year, you are new international president of the IAFCI. I'll move over to the Frank Sinatra position as chairman. But, uh, Mark, I know you're going to do great for our organization. It's been an honor for me. And i got to mention our producer, Doug Taylor. It's been an honor for me to be part of this podcast. And we're going to go one more year. Let's do it. If any of our listeners want to reach out to have any questions or to have a topic that we haven't discussed and you would like to hear on the podcast, you can reach us at IAFCI, protectorspodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. And don't forget to subscribe and tune into our next podcast, which will be in two weeks. From Connecticut, I'm signing off. This is Mark Solomon. This is Mike Carroll in Chicago. Thank you. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Remember, as you join the fight to protect our citizens, you're not alone. With more than 6,500 members from around the world, the men and women of the IAFCI are standing together with you. To learn more or to join the IAFCI, please visit our website at www.iafci.org. The Protectors Podcast is produced by Modified Media and is available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. The hosts and guest opinions are their own and do not reflect those of management, employers, or sponsors. Listeners are encouraged to contact law enforcement if they suspect being a victim of a crime.